0: Welcome to part two of our study of God's progressions of earthly kingdoms. I'm Rob Cognon, director of CMI TV. In our last session, we showed how God is using the times of the Gentiles as a means of bringing the nation of Israel to repentance and to be reconciled to God. As I ended the last session, I said that the sequence of four kingdoms or empires spans the times of the Gentiles as the Lord prophesied in Luke twenty-one twenty-four, God uses prophecy to encourage us by showing us that he is in control of history and that his word, the Bible, is a trustworthy inerrant record given by him. In Daniel chapters 2, 7, and 8, perhaps they are the best proof of this. Daniel was taken to Babylon when Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. There, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue of a gigantic man. Testing his wise men, he asked for an interpretation of this symbolic dream without telling them the dream. He threatened them with death if they couldn't interpret it. After Prayer God gave Daniel the interpretation. Daniel recorded the dream in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 34. Now, 50 years later, Daniel also had a dream from God of four animals, followed by a vision recorded in Daniel 7 and 8. A comparison of Nebuchadnezzar's and Daniel's dream show that they are about the same subject. Through these two dreams and a vision, God revealed a sequence of nations that would be involved with Israel's history and the city of Jerusalem, often as its focal point. These nations were necessary in setting the stage for the fifth and final kingdom of this earth, Jesus Christ's earthly millennial thousand-year kingdom. While there have been, and certainly are many other kingdoms throughout history, They are on, if you will, the sidelines of history in the sense that their influence only indirectly involves Israel during the times of the Gentiles. Now, all peoples of the world are important to God, either directly or indirectly, regardless of what nation they're in, for God's salvation is available to all people. Now, The best way to view the uniqueness of Daniel's prophecy is to place Nebuchadnezzar's dream alongside of Daniel's dream and vision. Thus, I'm going to read both passages. In Daniel chapter 2, this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream, verses 31 to 34. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Now, Daniel's dream, 50 years later, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 4 to 7. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear. And it raised up itself on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, even a brief study of these texts expands and elaborates our understanding of these times and actually will help to serve to prepare us before we move to a study of the intertestament times of Israel and then into the Gospels. in nebuchadnezzar's dream of daniel chapter 2 daniel says this first kingdom has a head of gold now daniel's vision of the same kingdom is given in daniel 7 verse 4 where he reads the first kingdom was like a lion and had eagle's wings i beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it now in Daniel's record of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, chapter 2, verse 38, the king and kingdom is identified specifically as Babylon. For we read, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field, the fowls of heaven, hath he given into thine hand, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, and hath made thee, Nebuchadnezzar, ruler over them all, thou art the head of gold." Since Daniel is speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, this kingdom and king aptly represents the preeminent place of Babylon in Daniel's day. Now, head of gold. Gold was commonly used in Babylon not only as currency, but also to adorn objects. In Daniel's vision, the lion with eagle's wings was also an excellent representation for Babylon since the lion has always been regarded as the king of beasts and the eagle the most exalted of birds. The eagle's wings indicated the swiftness with which Nebuchadnezzar gained his power. At the time of these dreams, Babylon was the only powerful nation in the world. The next two kingdoms of Daniel were not world powers at the time. And certainly the fourth kingdom was not even a powerful city or province in the world of Daniel's day. So now let's look at this second kingdom. In Daniel 2, the image's two arms and breast of silver aptly picture the second kingdom that conquered and followed Babylon in history. That was the Med persian kingdom. For the arms joined at the breast represent the alliance and co-rule of the alliance of the Medes with the Persians. By uniting in 550 BC, these two nations were successful in overcoming and capturing Babylon in 539 BC and destroying the then king Belshazzar, who had succeeded Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 5 is the record of this. Historical records reveal that silver was the medium of exchange for these two nations, and it was collected through an extensive tax system that is noted in Ezra 4.13 and Daniel 11.2. Now, the Mede-Persian Empire, this was the next Gentile kingdom that maintained its control over the land of Israel, treading Jerusalem under its feet. In Daniel's vision, Daniel 7, verse 5, it adds further details about this kingdom. For we read, And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. This lopsided bear, in Daniel's dream, represents also the Mede-Persian alliance. Now, initially, the Medes were the power with Persia being subservient to the Medes. But with time, the Persians' power grew and they ultimately dominated the Medes to be over them or, if you will, to have one side lifted over the other. The three ribs in the bear's mouth most likely represent the three nations that the Mede Persians conquered to form their kingdom, for they conquered Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. Now, God leaves no doubt as to this nation's identity. For Daniel's vision in chapter 8 confirms the identification. For the angel Gabriel comes and tells Daniel, The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Mede and Persia. The use of the image of the ram is also quite appropriate because the guardian spirit of the Persian kingdom was believed by the Persians to appear in the form of a horned ram, and the Persian king led his army wearing the head of a ram. The observation that the ram's two horns were of unequal height foretold the dominance again of the Persians ultimately over the Medes, Just as the lopsided bear had indicated. Now, they continued as one kingdom, but it was just a shift in which majority of people were ruling. It's very important as Bible students, Berean students, if you will, to know the knowledge of a culture and its symbols, for it's helpful in gaining an understanding of biblical revelation. And in this instance, God provided an indisputable confirmation of the symbols through the angel of Gabriel. Daniel's dream and his separate vision occurred about 50 years after Nebuchadnezzar's dream during King Belshazzar's reign. With Belshazzar's death and the capture of Babylon, the Mede-Persian Empire became the dominant world power. The expansion of the empire encompassed Israel in addition to Asia Minor and Egypt. However, the strength of the Mede Persians was no match for the leader of the next kingdom, Alexander the Great. The Kingdom of Greece was pictured by Nebuchadnezzar as having his belly and his thighs of brass. In Daniel's vision, recorded in chapter 8, verse 21, God pictured this third kingdom as a goat and clearly identifies it as Greece. We read, And the rough goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Young Alexander of Greece, later called Alexander the Great, was the amazing gifted general who swiftly conquered and replaced the Mede-Persian Empire with that of Greece. Now, back in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this kingdom is symbolized as having a belly and thighs of bronze. The Greeks used this metal alloy extensively to make their tools and weapons of war. Most likely, the image's belly represented Alexander himself, while the two thighs signified Seleucus, And Ptolemy, two of his four generals that succeeded him and played significant roles in history as rulers of Syria and Egypt and were involved with Israel. Now Daniel's dream of chapter 7 and verse 6 adds to Nebuchadnezzar's picture of Alexander the Great's kingdom. After this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. Here, the Greek empire was represented by a leopard having four wings and heads, while in Daniel's later vision it was portrayed as a male goat with feet that didn't touch the ground, and one prominent horn that was later replaced by four. The leopard's four wings and the goat's feet that didn't touch the earth both represented Alexander's swiftness in conquering the Mede-Persians. Now, long before Alexander was born, or Greece was a significant country, God not only indicated that Alexander's Grecian empire would replace the Mede-Persian empire on the world stage, but that four kings would share power following Alexander's death as the leopards four heads and the goats four horns historical records confirms this prophecy for alexander came to power thrusting greece into dominance as a world empire by conquering the mede persians when alexander died at the age of 32 and he died in babylon as buried there his four generals now cassander lysimachus Seleucus and Ptolemy divided the Greek kingdom or empire into four regions or nations that were individually ruled, but always united as a single overall kingdom. So in other words, four regions of the Grecian empire were ruled by each of four generals, yet they all were totally united in terms of battles and defending the kingdom and carrying forth the Greek kingdom. This historical fact fulfilled God's prophecy of Daniel 8, verse 22. For God's word is truly trustworthy, for God brings to fulfillment those things he prophesies. This prophecy truly reveals the attribute of God's trustworthiness in that what he showed in dreams and visions centuries ago before they happened is completely accurate from the historical perspective. Unlike the previous three kingdoms, God doesn't identify the fourth kingdom by name. In the world of Daniel, during his days, They knew of the peoples of the Medes, the Persians, and the Greeks, so when Daniel would speak of them, they'd know who they are, even before their nations actually became great kingdoms. But Rome was not even a province in Daniel's day. There were no Roman people, or was there a city called Rome? We've identified the fourth kingdom as Rome. That's derived from descriptions found in the two dreams. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 of Daniel, it is described as the image having two legs of iron with feet and toes of iron and clay. In verse 33, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron, part of clay. Now in Daniel's dream 50 years later, the fourth beast is not a common identifiable earth creature like the three previous animals that described the three previous kingdoms. It's merely described as being diverse. Now, diverse means different, unique from anything else. Therefore, this kingdom will be diverse or unique from all the beasts that were before it. For we read in verse 7 of Daniel 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured in breaking pieces, stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. This beast is dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong with teeth of iron and stamping, crushing feet. This well describes the rise of the power of the Roman kingdom. Furthermore, this beast is described as having ten horns, three of which are later replaced by a little horn having the eyes and mouth of a man, a mouth speaking great or pompous words. As previously shown, Daniel identified or God identified in the scripture Three of the four kingdoms described in the book of Daniel. Kingdoms that will precede the Lord Jesus Christ's earthly kingdom. Those three God named by name. Now, many believe that Daniel's fourth kingdom, its unnamed empire, is the Roman Empire. As do I. We base our conclusion on the historical pattern established by the three identified kingdoms of Daniel that preceded the Roman kingdom. You see, that's a pattern. That pattern has the second empire, the Mede-Persia kingdom, conquering the first empire, Babylon. And that in a similar manner, the third kingdom, Greece, conquered the second kingdom, the Mede-Persians. Extrapolating this pattern, requires that the fourth kingdom must be the conqueror of the third kingdom, Greece. Get that? The fourth must conquer the third, just as the third conquered the second and the second conquered the first. The Roman Empire is the only viable historical candidate for that fourth empire. For the Greek Empire was conquered by Rome, and no other nation or power of that day conquered Greece. Now, our conclusion is strengthened by the identification of iron as the metal that composes the image legs and as a characteristic of that kingdom. The Roman legions, the armies, used irons weapons of war, iron weapons of war, and were noted for the ability to crush all resistance with, and the term used even in those days was an iron heel. Certainly, history records the Roman army's ability to break conquered nations into pieces, literally to crush and demolish. The image's two legs indicate the two regional divisions within the Roman Empire, the eastern division with its center in Constantinople and the western centered in Rome. Eventually the eastern division would continue on in history long after the western division collapsed and became occupied by many other nations. Nebuchadnezzar's dream also suggests that there are two phases to the fourth empire while Daniel's dream does divide it even more finely if you will into three. The idea that there are two main phases in the Roman Empire is based on the image's anatomical and compositional distinctions regarding the fourth kingdom. For the legs of iron are distinguished from the feet and toes of iron and clay. This would appear to suggest that there are two distinct phases to this fourth empire. Bible teachers traditionally view the iron legs as the first phase representing the ancient Roman Empire with its Eastern and Western regional divisions. While the feet and toes suggest a later aspect, if you will, a latter day aspect of this revived or reformed Roman Empire. So in the first phase, the beast is called dreadful and terrible with teeth of iron and stomping feet. Obviously it's conquering phase. Many also break the second phase into two periods of history of the latter days now. This is the time of the tribulation, just before the coming of the Lord. One aspect of the second phase is portrayed as having ten horns. This would be the time of ten nations uniting to form the final world government under Satan's direction we may be witnessing the embryonic form of this phase. Now that's embryonic, not a, not a prophetical fulfillment, but really the embryo that could bring about the fulfillment in our world. It won't take full fruition, though, notice, until after the rapture of the church, just before the tribulation. The second aspect of this second phase, if you can follow this, the The second phase has a first aspect, a second aspect. Is the rest to power of the little horn, rise of power of the little horn with the eyes and mouth of a man that comes up and replaces three of the ten horns and speaks great things, Daniel 7, verse 8. I go into great depth of these events in my video on the rise of the Antichrist and I urge you to go and view that by going to my website, cmitv.org. In its simplest form, we can divide this fourth kingdom into two parts, keeping it simple, the revived Roman Empire before and the reformed Roman Empire after the Antichrist rises to power. According to this interpretation, phase one of the ancient Roman Empire ended and a gap or an interim period of time occurs before phase two. The concept of a gap now is justified by the fact that Daniel passes over the present or church age. Remember, the church was a mystery that was hidden until the New Testament. Therefore, Daniel doesn't mention the church or the gap that the church age would create. Now, such gaps or skips in prophecy do occur in the Old Testament in other books with respect to the first and second coming of Christ and its pictures that the prophets see. The Old Testament prophets portray Christ as being both a suffering savior as well as a conquering king without stating a gap. Again, because the gap would be the church age. So to ancient Jewish observers, they presume somehow the Savior could be suffering and could be a conquering king, and they had trouble figuring that out. We can look back, seeing the church age, look back and seeing the gap between the death of Christ and his coming again, and understand that gap. They didn't have that ability at that time, and God didn't give them that insight. Now, at Christ's first advent, he came as a suffering Savior to rem- redeem both humanity and creation but in the future he will return as a conquering king the gap in time was not recognized by many in israel and did sadly contribute to the rejection by many of their messiah the lord jesus christ at his first coming therefore the gap concept is a possibility with regard to the roman empire Now, according to our scenario, the ancient Roman empire will revive in the modern era as the 10-toe, 10-horn stage. This revived empire will include the former territories of the ancient Roman empire and possibly those Western hemisphere nations that trace their ancestry back to the lands within the ancient Roman empire. Certainly, this scenario satisfies the demands of the dreams and visions found in the book of Daniel. The fifth kingdom that will come following those four kingdoms or empires is described by Daniel in chapter 2 verse 34 as the stone cut without hands. That stone symbolizes this fifth and final kingdom that will crush the preceding four Gentile kingdoms. For Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, was not made with hands, and he is the stone that the builders Israel rejected. You want to consult Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, Psalm 118, verse 22, and Matthew twenty-one forty-two for references to the stone that is rejected. Christ's earthly kingdom will be established by the God of Heaven, according to Daniel, beginning with Christ's millennial kingdom, which will be centered in Jerusalem on Mount Zion and continue forever, even into the new heaven and earth. Several references for this: Daniel 2:44, Isaiah 28:16, Zechariah 14, Revelation 20:4, 4, and Revelation 21: verse. One. <laughs> That's going to be a great day. What a culmination to this history and progression of kingdoms. Kingdoms during the times of the Gentiles will end with the removal of the church, the rapture of the church from the earth, and the tribulation beginning. And as the kingdoms grow into the Antichrist's fourth kingdom, Jesus Christ will return, destroy the fourth kingdom, and establish his kingdom. That's what all of history is waiting for. Now, in my fleeting review of history in this video, it's apparent that God's word is certain and he truly does establish as well as bring down kings and kingdoms, Daniel 2.21. This concept that God is in control of the kings and kingdoms is very important for us to grasp in a time where the world seems to be in a great upheaval and we're wondering, is anybody in control? Yes, they are. It is God himself. Now, it's also important to understand that the ancient kingdoms of Babylon, Mede-Persia, and Greece are gone, yet not entirely. When viewed sequentially, it's apparent that each succeeding empire or kingdom assimilated historically, culturally, and religiously the preceding conquered empire. This means that when the first three empires ceased to rule, their cultures and religions did not also cease to exist. Rather they merged or modified or morphed into other thoughts and views, but they all had the element that was still, elements were part of it. So elements of each of those kingdoms still exist in the final phase of the Roman Empire. Now God used Daniel in a mighty way to give, as the scriptures say, wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. You see, an understanding of this is available to those who genuinely desire to seek it out. Through these dreams and visions, God has revealed his outline for human history regarding mankind's kingdoms and the coming kingdom of his Son. Never forget, as Spoken in Daniel, God promised, the dream is certain, the interpretation thereof sure. Now until the next time we are together, may the Lord bless you mightily. I will either see you here or in the air.